Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight on That Kevin Show, she recruits for putting America first, Ashley Hyatt. He's a filmmaker with patterns of evidence, Tim Mahoney. She is the civilian four-star, KT McFarland. And she will have moms everywhere laughing on Mother's Day weekend, Kim Curley. And in the spotlight, Ed Sheeran. And now, from the side of the looming Megyn Kelly, Charlize Theron Showdown, here's that Kevin. Yes, and welcome one and all to that Kevin show for the weekend. So glad to have you with us. Kevin McCullough, my name. And it's true. And I don't know how many times this has happened, but I found it to be very interesting. This week, on the social media, you know, the stuff that you post about, you show your egg omelets and all that stuff. Anyway, on the social media uh, and on her podcast, Megan Kelly, the former Fox News superstar, who then went to NBC, who then got a great big fat payout from NBC and started her own gig and she's like flying or flying higher than ever before. Uh, she basically said to Charlize Theron who portrayed her in a major motion picture, come and get me. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I've ever seen the, uh, the person uh, that the, in the real life that was portrayed by the actor or the actress ever told the actor, the actress uh, come and get me. But she did. And um, it was it was a very interesting. I'm in very weird shadows tonight. Anyway, it was a very interesting uh, little situation. Let me hold on. Do my own lighting. <laughs> anyway. So th that's how it goes. Uh, Megan Kelly saying to Charlize Theron, come, come and get me. Now, what is it all about? Well, here you see uh, People Magazine reporting this last week. And I do, not, I do not read the People Magazine. The People Magazine is not high on my list. It's, uh, it's one of those gossip things. Uh, every now and then, if they have like a nice commemorative issue of some historical person, those are kind of cool. But for the most part, it's I don't, I don't read the people magazine but in people magazine the headline was charlene theron warning people that she'll f anybody up who comes for drag queens and then she said we're in your corner evidently this last week there was this big you i've still got shadows on my face anyway there was this big huge showdown not showdown, this big, huge production on television uh, 
celebrating drag queens and saying we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to prop up. And I think that after all of the stars and after all the people they pulled together and everything that they that they spent putting into it, and I'm sure it was you know a couple of million to put together. I think they raised about five hundred thousand dollars. But Charlize Theron. Uh, says during the broadcast that she's going to F up anybody who comes for drag queens. Now, usually when somebody uses the word, if you come for me, they're talking about, you know, somebody who knows a guy, who knows a guy who's going to come for you because you didn't pay the guy what the guy said you had to owe him. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Usually wearing a dark suit, dark tie, dark shirt, and A hanky. Uh, but regardless of all that, Charlize Theron, standing with drag queens, uh, says she's going to F anybody up that comes for them. Now, why is she so perturbed about this? Well, it turns out her adopted child has transitioned. And I, I don't know if he was a boy. Now he identifies as a girl or if it was the other way around. But so this is this is kind of personal for her. But it's really not, because drag queens sometimes aren't even transitioners. They're just people that put on the other stuff and do the dance and lip sync. And Megan Kelly said in her show that she's she's been to a few of them and she found some of them to be entertaining. But she said putting the children within the proximity of these people is is not what needs to be done. And if you disagree with her. She's saying, you, you got to come for her. Well, nobody is coming for the drag queen, Charlize Theron. You just need to know this. There's, there's, no, there's no army. There's no militia. And by simply saying you want to keep the kids separate from the drag queens, that's actually a good thing. It's good for both. It doesn't put the drag queens within proximity of temptation, doing something bad with the kids. And it keeps the kids safe, too. Win-win. So anyway, uh, I, plus, I don't think Charlene Theron's going to come for anybody. I mean, the woman lives a life of pampered luxury. Uh, I thought she was awesome in the Italian job. That's about it. All right, um, here we go. Got a big show for you tonight. Stick around. But I do want to get you updated on what we're doing to help end human trafficking in our time. With a brand new story tonight, take a listen. I was a child when I was abducted by the Arabs. My parents used to own livestock and my mother would do all the cooking for us. I don't remember the year that I was captured. There had never been any problems in our village. Then one day, all of a sudden, we heard that there were Arabs attacking Dinka villages throughout the south. We were so worried we could not even sleep at night. It was a big concern to my mother and my father. We were told that these Arabs were heavily armed and would kill all the animals and people when they would attack. We were very scared. Then one morning, they attacked our village. We scattered in different directions and I ran, but I was captured. My entire village was burned down and I've never seen a member of my family since. Then I was taken north into slavery. My eyes saw horrific things on that trip to the north. Women were raped, 
right in front of us. Men were beaten and four men were killed because they tried to fight back. They were shot dead before our eyes. Once at the slave master's house, I was pretty much starved and worked brutal hours every single day doing difficult and very, very hard work. There was no relief. And then they raped me. My slave master did not think of me as a human. He would not even let me go to the hospital when I fell sick. And one day I heard that there was a slave retriever from CSI close by, how I wanted to be free. That retriever secured my freedom. And thank God I was able to return to South Sudan. Thank you to each of you who helped the slaves be free. But please don't stop until we get them all. All right, the way it works is really simple. Uh, you just dial this number, 888 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010. And when you do, you're going to have the ability to help rescue a human life out of human trafficking, human slavery. Our friends at Christian Solidarity International are partners again with this. Uh, we've done this for the last 10 years. Uh, friends, you've helped literally liberate thousands and thousands of women and children uh, from uh, slavery conditions right now. And that $250 gift gives them everything they need to start their life over again. So far, 192, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 192 uh, women and children are our goal this year. And so far, we have freed 41 of them. But we can't continue to do it without your help. 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, or go online to bringherhome.org. That's bringherhome.org. Org. All right, Kevin McCullough, big show yet to come from New York tonight. We have got uh, Ashley Hayek. We've got Ed Sheeran, Tim Mahoney, Katie McFarland, and Kim Curley. It's all coming up here on That Kevin Show. a few classified documents between friends. I told you, I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right. My next guest is someone who uh, in this uh, upcoming election cycle is hoping to get a lot of people to think more critically about some of the issues surrounding their political choices going into that cycle. That's why she's the chief engagement officer for the America First Policy Institute and uh, a, a reformed Californian trying to figure out if the East Coast is really all that worth it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and please welcome Ashley Hyatt. Hello. 
Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Ashley, it's good to see you. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for having me. You are engaging, uh, and AFPI is, and by the way, when AFPI came into existence, I got really excited to see what the potential is. I am very proud of the fact that we have your people on all the time, and you really have maintained that America first kind of uh, focus on on the issues, not on the personalities, not on the people, but on the issues themselves. And before we get to what I asked you to come here to talk about, just talk about that that mission from AFPI, as you define it, America First Policy Institute is seeking to do what? So we are really the home for the America First movement, and it is a long-term, 100-year generational, multi-generational plan to save the country. And so, you know, what we learned in the last administration are the policies that work. And so those policies belong really to the American people. So how do we do things like pass universal licensing in the states? How do we, you know, stop the transgenderism from infiltrating our schools? How do we give power back to the American people? Because that's what it's really about. Our president and CEO, Brooke Rollins, she was the uh, head of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. So her whole expertise has really been moving state policy. And that's something that she's incredibly passionate about. So, you know, not only are we playing at the federal level, we have an amazing government affairs officer in Renee Hudson, but um, who also worked for Kellyanne Conway, who was the chief of staff to a member of, on the Hill, but we're playing in the states. And so yeah. whether it's partnering with, you know, leadership in the Utah state legislature or in Texas state legislature or Florida, um, working with governors, that is all part of this greater plan to really, you know, advance the America First agenda. Well, and that's what federalism actually is. It's it's letting right. the states determine uh, what they what they want to determine themselves and moving that in the uh, in the best direction possible. Um, what I loved about AFPI was that it allowed a lot of the brain trust that powered the Trump policies to stay together and keep working. Uh, for the good of the American people on those particular arenas. So we we have a lot of your guys on and they know this these subjects inside out because they saw them for themselves as they were either, you know, heads of departments or or what have you. That's right. Um, and they're doing a great, great job. And I know you're going to be a big part of the conversation um, in the days coming in the very near future. You mentioned the transgenderism issue. Um, I There's probably no radio host in the country that has covered this more than me. But I have to say, I'm I'm impressed with some of my friends in the media, and I want to give a, a personal uh, story on this. Um, there was a number of years ago when Megyn Kelly was working at the Fox News Channel, and she was dominating the afternoon cycle. She had a two-hour solo show, only host on the network that had two hours all to herself, and she was absolutely killing it in the ratings. And I would I got to be on that show, I don't know, a few dozen times over the course of the time that she was hosting it. And I'll never forget one day we were talking off air about, I think it was Chastity Bono that at the time was uh, in the headlines and it was a big deal because it was a celebrity's child and someone was transitioning. And And I remember there being a very kind of um, uh, intense give and take between myself, the other pundit I was with and Megan, we were all talking about the kind of things involved here. And I could sense from where Megan was coming from that she had people that she knew personally that were dealing, struggling with some of the issues that are related to that. And she gave a, a pretty, uh, I would say, firm defense of, of uh, chastity at the time and what, and what was happening. The only reason I tell you all this is that on her podcast in recent weeks, she has absolutely called out 
the Dylan Mulvaney's and the other um, crazy way that this whole issue has exploded to take over literally everything it touches from beer to candy bars to, you know, the classroom. This is now like the obsession of those in the media and those in this administration that are wanting to see it become much more codified into law. We've got a few minutes left in this segment, actually. I, I might want to ask you to stay for a second one, but can you give me a sense of why you think this has become the overriding social, uh, cultural norm that they're trying to instill at this point in time? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I grew up in, in a time where we were told Sheryl Sandberg, if you remember fa Facebook, when she yep. had her book, Lean In, there's just a lean in as a woman, have your seat at the table, shattered glass ceilings, women can have it all. And now we're seeing a complete shift, especially from Democrats and the left of no longer do we have any sort of identity, you know, and I think this is actually a much greater conversation in terms of uh, if people don't have an identity, if they don't have a source of purpose, they're a lot more easy to be controlled. And what started out with stopping hatred towards a particular group of people has morphed into transitioning children, minor children without parental consent. And it's about taking power away from parents, giving it to the government. And it's absolutely disgusting what is happening in our country. You look at places like California that passed a law that said if you know, one spouse wants their child to transition, but the other spouse does not, that that child can become a quote, ward of the state. Think about that. You're giving your child to the state of California so that they can undergo a gender transition surgery or puberty blockers or hormone therapy. When in fact, 75% of children who have gender dys dysphoria do not carry it with them into adulthood. So, you know, you look at it from every single social issue that the, that the left is pushing right now. This is one where the majority of the Americans don't agree in, agree on. It's wrong, morally, um, ethically, on every account. And I think it really is in order to give government more power over individual people. Well, what you're bringing up here is really one of the scariest aspects of the whole implementation. Because it's one thing to say, we're going to give people the options to do this and make things available. And I think we should be much more discerning in, in that entire arena of the conversation. But when you're talking about governmental control, of choices and of determinations and outcomes for a child that belongs to a parent. I know that these I know that these leftists think that the kids of this country belong to the entire country. I know that they have this kind of warped mentality in their brain, AOC does, that my child actually belongs to her because she's yeah. part of the government and they get to determine what's best for them, that nothing could be further from the truth. And our founding fathers certainly felt that way. That's why there's so much self-determination written into the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. But on this issue of government controlling not just the choices and the options, but now the very um, means by which you come to that decision. Uh, and they've done it in ruthlessly cruel ways. The Biden administration yeah. first month in office said to every school district that doesn't take our guidance on this, we're going to withhold the money for poor kids to be able to eat their daily breakfasts that we're giving them yeah. uh, to help feed people. I mean, this is really beyond the pale. We're going to take a quick break and come back, but I want to get your response to that. And then th this this very, uh, well, it's, it's not going away anytime soon, and we'll be uh, discussing it, I know, for days and weeks to come. Ready or not, we'll be right back.
Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. And we're back from New York. Some people wouldn't believe this, but just a couple of weeks ago, the state of Washington uh, here in the U.S. passed a law in which, or guidance at least, in which they uh, have said in writing, in the guidance for the local public schools, that if uh, a school district wishes to help a child transition fully from the gender that they are, the sex that they are, to the opposite, that they will only release that information on people to people that are deemed uh, important enough to know. And in the same guidance, the exact language says that parents do not necessarily qualify for that definition. I don't know of a more invasive or a more, uh, I don't know, hurtful uh, approach to public policy than what we're seeing right now in terms of the transition movement and this emphasis on children doing it as quickly as possible. But a lot of groups are speaking out about it. I've told you a lot about the excellent documentary over at Independent Women's Forum called Identity Crisis. It's got a 10-part uh, pieces to it now. You, you need to go and watch that. But the America First Policy Institute, which is really setting the tone for what a new administration will be about uh, should that person be a Donald Trump or someone that is America first in their um, approach to policy is actually speaking out about this. And I, I think it's courageous that they do so because not a lot of their contemporaries in the think tank space have. And Ashley Hayek is the chief engagement officer for them in that capacity. Actually, I, I said before the break that the most cruel element of all of this is that you actually now have the government taking hostile positions against its constituents, what should the response of government be? Government should stay out of, of our lives in terms of any of these issues. Parents should have control over their children, their children's education, um, being able to provide medical service as they need. But the problem is, you know, the government is pushing this. The medical institutions in some cases are also pushing this, the transgenderism and the gender uh, hormone therapy and uh, surgeries. There's a great book by Abigail Schreier called uh, Irreversible Damage, and it came out in 2020. And, you know, I went through that book and it's absolutely shocking how so many people who are part of the medical community and the transgender community and very supportive, they were, they fell victim to everything that's happened. You know, a lot of these kids who were seeking help for gender dysphoria had other underlying mental health issues that were never addressed. It's if you don't feel like yourself, well, then maybe you're not really a girl. Maybe you're actually a boy. And then they get pushed through this system um, that takes away control from parents and brainwashes these kids into something that really isn't. Well, and on some level, and, and people that are parents would know this, but the left is having fewer children each year. So they're, they're coming to a less of an understanding of this. But if you've had a daughter or if you've been a daughter, there is nothing about the early teenage, you know, uh, late single digit years that is pleasant about changing from one stage of life to another. There's, it's very awkward. There's a lot of uh, social awkwardness. There's That's a lot right. of emotional uncertainty and you feel like you, you just don't want to be yourself sometimes. And it, it, it appears to me that the people that are pushing this are not trying to help young people, particularly young women, find answers. They're trying to exploit opportunities to do what you just mentioned, brainwash them into another mindset that violates not only their what their normal healthy norms will eventually grow out of and become comfortable with adulthood, but also the faith of their family, the love yes. and uh, safety of a secure home. I mean, there's so much writing on this. 
That's right. And make no mistake, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. So if you look at uh, the executive at Vanderbilt University, when they were exposed, they said, you know, if we do a um, chest removal surgery, that's tens of thousands of dollars. If we do this procedure, it's this amount of money that we that the hospital makes. That is not why you give care. That is not care at all. Yeah. So to call this not only gender affirming care, but then to do it for the sake of lining your pocketbook is dis- disgusting. And the ones who are victims are really these children and you know, you have to think in the, in the book that I just referenced, she has multiple stories of parents who said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I can help be supportive of my child. But ultimately, once the child went down this path, once a child is on puberty blockers, the likelihood of them going the full uh, gender therapy and the surgery is about 80% plus plus. And that's absolutely astonishing, especially, like I said, when so many of them don't carry it with them into adulthood. Um, there needs to be a level of, of compassion. We need to get to the bottom line of you know the mental health crisis that's going on and address the root cause of why this child is experiencing so much anxiety. Not okay. What do we do to make a dollar and you know com- completely change and wreck this child's life? Can you just tell us how people can support what they're, what you're doing and how they can be in touch? Absolutely. Sign up at AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Ashley Hayek, thanks for stopping by. Come back anytime. Thank you for having me. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. Don't go away. Ready or not, he'll be right back. That Kevin. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is someone who I originally met many films ago. And in fact, uh, the Patterns of Evidence uh, was not a, yet a series. It was just a single documentary that he had produced uh, examining the uh, evidence of the origins, the reliability of some of the Old Testament books. And he has since gone on to do a number of films. The most recent one we will discuss uh, tonight. And I am so honored to have back with us Tim Mahoney. Tim. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me back. What's the name of the newest film and what's the story behind it? In 2003, I actually began this investigation uh, and I went to um, uh, Saudi Arabia. I had I got permission, official permission to go because I had heard that there was evidence of um, at a mountain where there were pillars, altars, uh, graveyards, things that were matching a pattern of evidence for the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. and uh, But when I got there, they didn't want us there. And when I left the country, by the way, May 15th, yeah, 20 years ago, in 2003, uh, when I left the country, I left without any footage. And I was in despair. I thought, what am I going to do? Because they confiscated it. And I wasn't able to actually make a movie back then. So it's taken me this last uh, two decades to really bring it around and to be able to do this investigation the way we needed to do it. And thankfully, here we are, 
going to be releasing the film in over 700 theaters May 15th and 17th. Very excited about that. Let me ask you, pull the camera back, no pun intended, just uh, a little bit on the Patterns of Evidence uh, series as a whole. I mean, we started with that very first one, and I've missed a few in between here and there. We, I think we've covered a couple of your films. But what has been the impact of combining um, grade A science to theories and questions and the text of scripture well i think that right now the scripture in a lot of universities and and college campuses uh is considered irrelevant and what's been happening is that by me taking this approach which i had no idea i would be involved with it's really a scientific approach the patterns of evidence is is to have a theory and then to look for the pattern the theory is that the biblical text is historical. We look at different events and we try to say, can we find those events? And we make a pattern and then we investigate that. Now, what we're finding is that the pattern is there, but it's not always at the time people have suggested, and it's not always in the place. And that is the reason why these are very effective investigations, because people, I believe, made mistakes in the past. And what they've done is instead of calling their instead of recognizing that maybe they don't have the right idea, they basically have said the Bible isn't historical. And the effect, Kevin, is that you send your your children off to college, and uh, they are told, you know, your parents really don't know what they're talking about. This Bible is not really historical. These events didn't happen, and there's no reason why you should believe any of it. Hmm. Well, so how many films have you done in the series thus far? Uh, this is number six. Okay. So we've we've got the Exodus, the Moses controversy, Red Sea one and two, and now Journey to Mount Sinai one and two. Um, so for people that did not see Mount Sinai one, uh, if they go on the fifteenth or seventeenth of this month, will they be unable to grasp the the introduction to the conversation? Not at all. These films really are standalone investigations. Uh, what I've done is I've just expanded it. So we're going to be looking at three mountains. Uh, it's over a two-hour film, and we're going to be investigating a pattern of evidence for the location of, you know, what, what was the journey that was taken? And we're going, to reca we're going to basically starting from scratch with this. When you look at the other one, it's just another volume of mountains that we look at. We will summarize it all, but you don't have to see the first one in order to actually really get a lot out of the second one. Uh, and they're standalone films. I'm assuming the uh, the scientists that you have examining the evidence that you bring back are, are all A grade, but talk to me about the types of scientists that you've pulled in to take a look at this. I'm assuming geologists and, and other important fields. Very interesting about this is that we're going into forbidden territory here. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Saudi Arabia. Two of the mountains we're going to be investigating are in Saudi, and there has not been any archaeologist allowed to really survey that time period because it's been off limits politically. So what we've found is there's a new category, which I call Exodus Explorers. Those Exodus Explorers are people who independently have taken upon themselves, some of them, uh, multiple times have snuck into the country taking photographs and trying to get back to someone. There have been other people who are archaeologists who've been trying to get in, but because of the nature of the Israel and Arab world, there was no one was going to be willing to allow Israel to have a history, especially if that history was going to be in their backyard. Mm -hmm. So this film is not just archaeology. It also has that political 
drama that's associated with this investigation. And that was part of the part of the story that I have. So I'm going to tell the backstory of Exodus explorers who actually got arrested and accused of being Israeli spies in this film. I'm going to also, though, talk with um, Yuri Zarns, who is a uh, uh, who was able to dig there. And uh, in my interviews, some of the scholars told me that they find evidence for the Bible all the time, but they know that academically they can't talk about it. But they talk amongst themselves because, you see, talking about the Bible is off limits, both academically and sometimes politically. But he had just retired, and he said, you know what, I don't care anymore. I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to let you know that he saw... And, and was very interested and felt that there was a pattern of evidence there that but needed to be investigated. But Kevin, part of the problem was this. When explorers would go in there and get arrested because they were wandering around there, that would cause then to be more alarm. And that then also caused it to be more difficult for anyone to do scientific work in the area because it was then a big problem. And fences came up and they guarded it and they had guards there. But that became then more interesting because it was like, <laughs> what are they trying to hide, right? Well, it sounds like uh, it will be uh, a very fast-moving two hours. And as the pattern of evidence films that I've seen always are, they're ex extremely compelling. Friends, uh, you want to get tickets and you want to go see it. Can they get tickets at PatternsOfEvidence.com? Is that where they go? Yes, that's that's a good place. Tim it Mahoney, is. it's been far too long, but thanks for coming by and telling us about this. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. You got it. Ready or not... We'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no drink minimum. It's that Kevin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in 2023, Ed Sheeran. I heard you calling and my eyes are open. The day is breaking into powder blue. Sunlight is framing our every moment. What a way to start off the day with you. Discussion to pick a singer. This one you'll love it. I have to bring Just let the speakers take you away. Drop the needle and dusty. Frost on the leaves like a lake. The moment came out of nothing. A beautiful smile on your face. Yesterday was a long night. I got a feeling that the future is so bright. All of the pressure washed away. So I dropped the needle on Dusty We were lost within a stormy ocean Nobody knew what we were going through We talk about it as we dip our toes in 
Continue on That Kevin Show. Stay with us. Hour two is on the way. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. 